Welcome to Stop Ruining My Childhood Podcast. A sometimes nostalgic, sometimes cynical look back at pop culture. Join us as we revisit movies, cartoons, and live action TV of the 80s and 90s and ask the question... Does this hold up or did I just ruin my childhood? My name is Megan. And I'm Steve. And this is our 25th episode extravaganza. 25 episodes. 25 long episodes. When I look back at our episodic journey, I think, man, it feels just like four or five months. <laughs> yeah, because it actually has not been 25 weeks because we did a number of bonus episodes. So yes. it's been probably 16 weeks. Mm, maybe a little bit more than that. Maybe more. So we're excited to get started. We have on the docket today the fifth element. The fifth element. Which was chosen because it was the 25th highest grossing movie. Of 1997, which was 25 years ago. Exactly, so yeah. So 25, 25. 25, 25. And you can find that on Amazon Prime. Or, fun fact, before we start our fun fact section, they are re-releasing the fifth element for its 25th anniversary. And it's going to be in select theaters. So you can see it on the big screen. There you go. Or if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free. You can listen to us first, and then you can go look, watch it on the big screen and go, wow, Steve and Megan are so wise. <laughs> Depending on how we feel about it. I don't know. <laughs> That's true. Um, and before we get started, even with our snack, we have not 25 questions, but just five questions to do a little mini retrospective on our time so far. Are you ready? Just to look back through nostalgia at the 25 episodes. <laughs> We're having a nostalgic moment about our nostalgic podcast. Okay. All right. So the first question is, so far in terms of what we rewatched, what was the best surprise? What surprised you in a good way? Greatest American Hero. Yeah, that's mine too. And we just released that one. Yeah, we just had Greatest American Hero. Um, we record a couple episodes early just so that if something comes up, we can maintain like a regular schedule. Mm -hmm. So Greatest American Hero for us just dropped. And I have to say, I that was my choice as well. Why was it your choice? Well, I mean, I remembered it fondly from my childhood, but I was very young and I just remembered it being superhero-y. Right. And then when we rewatched it, I just thought it was a really great show that held up. Yeah, I always, th I thought, I'd heard of it before, and it's kind of used as a joke, especially the theme song is kind of, we talked about, more well-known than the show. It didn't last for very long. I had never seen, like, a real episode of it. Mm -hmm. it I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Like, thoroughly. And I will say, there's other things we watch that we love, but, like, look, was Splash a surprise? No. No, because we knew Splash, <laughs> Who yeah. framed Roger Rabbit? Was that a surprise? <laughs> no. But this was, um, I went back and watched a couple more episodes of it. I really enjoyed it and I think I would have loved to have seen a reboot because it isn't that well known yeah you know a lot of times things get rebooted that are really well known and then they don't hold up but in this case I think it would be a fun thing to see yeah. surprisingly so which did you least enjoy oh boy um well let me rephrase <coughs> this which one did we did we ruin your childhood so far which episode most ruined your childhood I don't know. I would have to say, I was going to say Manimal, but Manimal wasn't that bad. No, it was okay. It, the editing and cuts were a bit 
worse than I remembered as a child. I don't want to say Transformers because Cody's listening out there. <laughs> We're going to talk about Cody. I don't want him to hold it against me. We're going to um, talk about Cody in a minute. Cody's a listener and is awesome. This is why I will comments. say, I, I'm going to go with Transformers. And this oh, is why no. I'm going to say that. Okay? I love Transformers and I still do. But the cartoon, when I rewatched it now 30 years later, it just, it, it I guess I had like, used ruby glasses right and was looking at it in this just iconic memory of mine that mm-hmm. this that just the cartoon was phenomenal the toys were awesome and the toys are awesome the movie was great but when i rewatched like especially the first season the cartoon was real rough it was it was you know the only plot that you can follow really is if you know the characters and if you love the toys. Right. You know, and so while I did get it, you as a first timer watched it and were a bit lost. Yeah. And so I it made me I don't I, I wouldn't say it ruined my childhood, but it made me reassess things. So Cody is a listener and in a couple places he said that we ruined his childhood, especially with the Transformers episode, because the concept is great. And the toys were great. And I think he's, when you take every Transformers as a whole, yes. What I responded to him was, I do think that it was in part, like you said, it's the episodes we chose. Yeah. So at some point, we're going to watch the Transformers movie. Yeah. Not the Michael movies. Bay one. No. The, the animated movie. The animated from movie. The 80s. And my suspicion is that that will, enjoy, we, we might enjoy that more. I and think it might you're going to like it more. Yes. Okay. Um, but. And it's not something you had to worry about. Cody didn't hold it against you. No, he didn't. He just held it against me. He only held it I don't know. Me. Should we say is Cody my arch nemesis? No. I don't know. Do I have an arch nemesis? No, I think Cody. Like, I here's what my my read is. I think we have a lot of listeners like this. A lot of people also DM us and they don't just you know right. put it out. But I think we have a lot of people like they get that's that's the show. Right. Like we're we're asking if it holds up and do we ruin our childhood? So the one for me, I've said this already. Strawberry shortcake was such a disappointment. It did ruin my childhood. And I think for the same reason as you, I had these rose-colored glasses of, it's strawberry shortcake, I love the toys, the world is so cool, there are these little people. And also, I have the books, some of which predate those cartoons. Some of them kind of go along with the cartoons, but a lot of them predate. And I had the records as a kid, I had, (laughs) which really, now really ages me, but that's, those kind of things... That then when you watch it, you're like, oh, this really is not it, at it all It was a long-form commercial. It kind of was. And that was the yeah. thing. I was, just like you were a little lost at Transformers, yeah. I was lost at that because I didn't know the toys. Right. And you really had to yeah. to understand it. And I will say another surprise for me was G.I. Joe. I really thought that G.I. Joe, I would think of like Transformers. I enjoyed that show more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. I didn't give it a, a super high score because that's a personal thing. It's just not... Mm-hmm. For me, that type of action, but um, I did enjoy it. Okay, number three. So far, what has been your favorite snack? Skittles. Of course. They're my all time favorite. <laughs> Which I didn't I, even get to have. Yeah, you didn't get to have because it was on the Father's Day <laughs> Spectacular. On the Father's Day. My brother Day, Kevin and I did it. Which is actually coming out around the same time we're releasing this. So yep. it's either the same day or we might do the Father's Day a couple days before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me... Man, those Pop Rocks from the first episode were good, but I think I'm going to have to go with the Taffy. 
The taffy is just a classic, and if you get the right flavor, I I really housed that whole bag of the taffy. The taffy was good as well, yes. <laughs> Number four, is there anything you've rethought and wanted to rate differently? Like afterwards, if you thought about it? Because sometimes we watch and then we do the recording right away. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I may, I may have probably upped Transformers a little bit more. Okay. Looking back. Or He-Man. Maybe He-Man a little bit. He-Man wasn't too bad either, but I mean, both, again, we talked a lot about how those were, just like Stripe Shortcakes, they were really commercials. They were long-form commercials to sell the the, the, tel- the toys. He-Man had some good storytelling, though, I thought. But no, I, I, feel, I feel rather content with my scoring so far. My only one, and I did, I won't say the name of this person, but somebody did message me about this. They were like, Muppet Babies, how could you rate? And I was like... You know, in retrospect, I, I I think I gave it like a 7 or an 8. I feel like I should have given it maybe a 9 or a 10. Muppet Babies is a really great show. Again, the difficulty there is that we were very limited in what episodes we could pick. Yes. So that's the thing. Something like Cheers, a couple of the episodes of Cheers were ones that I loved. Like same with, um, we're going to watch Fantasy Island soon. Mm-hmm. There's an episode of Fantasy Island that I really enjoyed that we're going to revisit. With Muppet Babies, there's only a couple on YouTube, so it was really hard to pick. Yes. Because we don't we, we didn't have as much to pick from, right? And last question, question number 5. Um is there anything that you're really hoping to revisit or really looking forward to revisiting? Quantum Leap. Oh, because the new one's coming out, too. Yeah, but I was a huge Quantum Leap fan. I was a huge Quantum Leap fan, and we've never watched that together. I dare to say I may have seen all 98 episodes. I might have as well, and I haven't seen them in a while. I think my other choice for this is, it's coming up pretty soon, is um, Camp Nowhere. And the reason is because what, what often happens as we've been recording these is... It's something like Splash where I've seen it a number of times. Or it's something like Manimal or Greatest American Hero where I've never seen it. Camp Nowhere, kind of like Muppet Babies, I loved it when it came out. I don't think, I, I think maybe I rented it one time in like 95. But then I was in high school and it really is more like, it's a movie for like middle grade, like 10, 11, 12. So I don't think I've seen it since then. So I'm really, that's one that I'm really looking forward to because... It's something I enjoyed, and I really am curious to see if my memory matches yes. the actual movie. And also, one that we were supposed to do, but again, I had a hard time finding it, Small Wonder, which I loved as a kid, but I don't think it will hold up at all. Yes. It's about a girl robot. It ran for like maybe two, possibly three seasons, and um, I think we can only find it on YouTube. So if we can find enough episodes to watch, we'll revisit that, and we'll, we'll kind of... My my guess is we might rip it apart. Yeah, I don't know. The I would say if I had to choose one others, I I think Eddie and the Cruisers, mm. which just came up. We mentioned it in the Greatest American Hero episode yeah. because uh, Michael Pare, who played Tony in Greatest American Heroes, played Eddie and Eddie the Cruisers, which is a movie in the yeah. 80s. I will also there's some weird stuff that I'm looking forward to. Like we're gonna do ABC after school specials. I think that's gonna be hilarious. And I think once we get into some of the Christmas holiday stuff, I think that'll be fun too. So a lot of things to look forward to. So that's kinda it for our mini retrospective. Um, you know, for some people if you listen to a lot of podcasts and 
you have some that you listen to that have like 500 episodes. Obviously, 25 doesn't seem like too much. But this is just a project that we've been doing since February. We're now in May. Well, by the time this airs, it'll be June. But <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're recording, recording it. We're recording this Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. So. so to us, it's kind of been, yeah, it's been a lot. It's been a great journey so far. It has. And this walk down memory lane has it's brought laughter. It's brought tears. It's brought nostalgia. And I'm just so thankful for it. And an arch nemesis, possibly for Steve. Possibly. We don't know. (laughs) We don't know. How does one tell? I have Um, an arch nemesis, but it has nothing to do with this podcast. (laughs) Okay. All right. So, we have a special nostalgic snack. Our non-sponsored. Definitely non-sponsored this time. Although we're open. We're open. No, I don't know. Our (laughs) non-sponsored snack. We went a little outside, because this is the the 25th episode spectacular right so we wanted to go a little bit different than just the candies we've been having so we went to our childhood and dug up the happy Happy meal meal. the happy meal i think everyone is can connect with the mcdonald's happy all right now let's crack this i have not had a i have not had a mcdonald's happy meal in probably ever 40 years i know 35 years so this mcdonald's happy meal is a little bit different comes with a little juice box organic what? No organic sugar apple juice i did this was not orange high c was the go-to <laughs> when i was a kid oh gosh no uh no the high c that the astronauts took to the moon what yeah, was that called that was tang tang that was high c um little thing of fries how are we ever going to get the high c money when you keep calling it tang well, and vice versa. <laughs> I don't know. Little, uh, and we got, we got chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets, which I don't eat meat or gluten, so I can't have. But we got I'll have fries. The fries. And then, oh, you have, oh my gosh. Okay, well, first, tangy barbecue, because we didn't request anything, so that's what it came with. And it does have a toy. Yeah, it's supposed to have a toy. I know, but I didn't think they did the toys oh, anymore. Oh, no, I would burn the sucker to the ground if they didn't have a toy oh, in there. Oh, my that. goodness, how fun. Okay, so... This Happy Meal features um, different vehicles from, it looks like, 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. And our vehicle toy is... Pluto. In a in a In boat. a boat. Oh, it's like, um, what's that movie? Jungle uh, Cruise? Jungle Cruise. It's a Jungle Cruise boat. Oh, because they're Pluto. all... Okay, so these are all... Okay, so I'll explain. These are all toys that resemble rides at Disney World. Oh, okay. So you that have makes the sense. cars, you have the tea cu- Donald in a teacup, um, something with Epcot, it looks like. This is Jungle Cruise. Um, there's a train, there's a little one for the Astro, um, the things that look like spaceships. Yeah, they look the like circle, spaceships yeah. and go around. So that's pretty neat. So we have Pluto in a boat, and underneath him, it looks like there's a hippo. A hippo. That goes under the boat. And we're going to have to hide that from our dog, because she will definitely try to. These are smaller than I remember. But I do or have larger hands. Than you were. Well, that's the thing because my hands are so big, you know, like they're not child size. I also rem- like this does have it shows like the Walt Disney World logo with about the toy, mm-hmm. and then it has a thing about apples that you can choose instead of fries, which but we did not. <laughs> this really doesn't have as much marketing on it as I remember. I feel like it, they didn't. They used to have like games. Yeah, or one visuals. side just has like a little smile. They used to have almost like a cereal box. Sometimes they'd that's have what games. I thought. Sorry. <laughs> the fries are great. Go ahead and have try the chicken nuggets. Okay. And I we also got a small chocolate shake, so I'm gonna have a little bit of that. 
We got the shake because, you know, it comes with apple juice now and it didn't when we were kids because that was... It did not. That was long before the Super Size Me movie. <laughs> I feel like the Super Size Me um, changed that quite a bit. Okay, so while Steve's eating, the first McDonald's opened in 1940 in San Bernardino, California. It was called McDonald's Famous Barbecue. Eight years later, it was just shortened to McDonald's and burgers cost just 15 cents. In 1954, so 14 years later, we have an ambitious salesman, Ray Kroc. He encouraged the McDonald brothers to start opening more restaurants, which led to franchises and eventually the partnerships that would be essential for the future of the Happy Meal toys. We watched that in The Founder. Yeah, the, the movie, movie with Michael Keaton. With Michael Keaton. Movie. It's a great movie. I hi- If you're interested in this, I highly recommend it. Um, so 1963 was the debut of Ronald McDonald. And that, which looks terrifying, by the way, right? He had like a cup for a nose and like, remember, it's Willard Scott, right? Right, Wasn't yeah. he the first? And he has like a box on his head. So in the mid-1970s, this woman, Yolanda Fernandez de Cofino, began working with her husband in McDonald's franchise in Guatemala. And she created what she called the Menu Ronald or the Ronald Menu which featured a hamburger, small fries, and a small sundae so that moms and dads could give their kids meals a little bit quicker Mm -hmm. because that's what kids usually wanted. The concept was brought to the attention of McDonald's management in Chicago, and they gave product development to Bob Bernstein, and he basically was like, a lot of kids apparently were just eating their parents' food. So he was like, let's do a meal like Yolanda was doing just for kids. And that's how they packaged the Happy Meal. He also noticed his son at the breakfast table basically (laughs) would pour out an entire box of cereal just to get the toy. To get the toy, yeah. So that's how they came up with the idea. He was like, the packaging is the key. We have to brand it and put the toy in there. Um, and then they have the handle, which we still have here, resembles the McDonald's arches. Yep. Which is kind of neat. So they did a test marketing in 77. They fully rolled it out in 79. And the first promotion was the Star Trek meal, which promoted Star Trek, the motion picture in 1979. What was the toy? I don't know. <laughs> You're asking me questions I didn't plan for. I mean, that's the most important question. Yeah. Um, so the some of the... Oh, before that, though, before they had the branded toys, they would do a McDoodle stencil, a McWrist wallet, an ID bracelet, a spinning top, or those McDonaldland characters like Grimace and... Hamburglar. Yep. Right. They had those shaped as erasers. Um, but some of the more successful branding, Hot Wheels 83... I yes. remember that. Um, Ghostbusters in 84, My Little Pony in 85, but my very favorite, 1986, the Halloween Buckets. Oh, those were awesome. We still have ours. Yes, I those think were my mom awesome. still has them. 80s, everybody that year and every year after had those Halloween Buckets yeah. for trick-or-treating. 87, Transformers. They had little McRobots and also Muppet Babies. In the 90s, 87 to 91, they partnered with Disney like we have here today. So all of the the re-releases of like 101 Dalmatians, Rescuers, but also the new movies, Mermaid, The yes. Little Mermaid. And also 1990, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. I remember those. Glasses. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. 
So I don't know if it was just the toy. Um, A birthday train in 94 for the anniversary of the Happy Meal with E.T. and the Berenstein Bears and a bunch of other things. 96, I remember this too, Space Jam. Okay. You know, I remember all the way back to the Transformers meal. Because yeah. the Transformer toys were Transformers, but they transformed into, like, fries yes. or in McNuggets. Yeah, I remember and, that. And so it was all, like, you know, shaped like McDonald's stuff. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, And I do remember the My Little Pony as well. But when this was, like, at the height in the 80s, mm-hmm. they would have, like, every week it would be a different one. So yeah. if you want, it was kind of like that thing we talked about with the Ch- Alvin and the Chipmunks at Burger King. And sometimes if it was a set of toys, you had to go around to different McDonald's to try to find out which toy they had. Yeah. Or yeah. you might not get the whole set. That was super frustrating, as we discussed with the Burger King, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Until <laughs> I got married many years later and my wife had to buy them for me on eBay. Which you did. And yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, um, for the longest time I didn't have a complete set. But now you do. So your childhood dream has been fulfilled by, one, the, one best, by the best wife in the world. Right. <laughs> um, so the redesign happened in 2011. So that was after Morgan Spurlock's movie, Super Size Me. It was the, also during the Obama administration where Michelle Obama was pushing for healthy foods. Yes, for kids. get moving and mm. all that. So they announced plans to make the Happy Meals healthier in 2011, and they they included the addition of apples if you want that instead of the fries. And then for a drink, you can get the apple juice or uh, milk, or I think a chocolate milk are some of the choices there. And it also has smaller portion sizes. So yes, that is one of the reasons that this is a little bit smaller. Um, so what did we think? The apple juice I did try. Mm-hmm. It's not part of our childhood, but it it has like a little bit of a weird, it is organic apple juice, but it, they added citric acid, I think for, and it, it's got like a, it tastes like fake apple. Okay. Like that's my that's my best way of putting it. It tastes like the green apple um Jolly like blow pops or well, yeah. Oh, so it's like sweeter. Yeah, but it's like okay. yeah, it's kind of weird. Um the fries are the fries I remember. Same Chicken McNuggets are always fantastic. Same beef tallow Nobody fries. Nobody can make chicken nuggets like McDonald's. And the chocolate McNuggets are always the best. Yeah. The chocolate shake, I have to say, I have not had one of these in a long time. The chocolate shake is like a little bit salty, if that makes sense. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it just has a high sodium content, and I'm just like reading. That's what I'm reading. Um, but I, I will say they don't. They didn't in our childhoods, but they do now. They pull a whipped cream on top, and I'm yeah. not gonna argue with them about that. That yep. part was delightful. Um, so we rate out of five for. The snack, mm-hmm. or today the meal, out of 10 for the show. What are we rating on today for the fifth element? We're rating on relic stones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so that's of, a big part of it. So out of five relic stones. That's such a specific, sorry. Um, that's so specific. I'm making sure we never repeat. I mean, we could have just said relics or just stones, but okay. Out of five relic stones, what are you going to give the happy I'm meal? I'm giving the happy meal... A four. I'm going to give it a four as well. It holds go, up. I was going to go three, but they gave me a toy. Why were you going to go three? Were the McNuggets not? No, it was pretty decent, but the toy pushed them over the top. 
Okay. So four. All right. I'm, I'm gonna, still a sucker for a toy. I know it was because of like political pressure, but I like that they kind of gave options if you want to be healthier. The food tastes exactly like it did when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And the toy is going to be a lot of fun. See, I was going down a little bit because they became healthy. Oh, okay. And I feel like if it's not broke, don't fix it. Right, but they but they didn't, okay, but they didn't say, like, you have to have 2% milk right. and you have they to have apple slices. They just give you options. I get that, but don't, don't, don't judge me because of my choice. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am a little bit. Okay, so... so Four relic stones. Out of five. Out of five. Four (laughs) relic stones out of five for the Happy Meal, and we are on the same page. We probably will not be for the movie. So, Steve, let's hear a quick summary of the fifth element. So, 23rd century Earth. Cabbie, an ex-Special Forces soldier, Corbin Dallas, has the love of his life fall into his lap, literally. As this beautiful woman comes crashing into his flying future cab. And The Fifth Element is a sci-fi movie that basically takes us through Corbin Dallas trying to find out where this woman who doesn't speak any English came from. We, of course, see that she is actually an alien. um, And she's sort of an alien artifact. She's the fifth element after air, water, fire, and soil. Mm. And well, that's debatable. When you put them together um, with all those other four elements, she becomes a weapon that will defeat darkness. And so with the help of a priest and a rather flamboyant radio show host, um, they basically have to get a hold of these other four relics that represent the other four elements um, and then take them to a pyramid in Egypt. And it's a race against time as this building evil entity is trying to barrel towards the Earth to basically destroy the universe. And they have to save the universe. And we are going to spoil it because it's 25 years old. It is 25 years old. If you haven't seen the fifth element, shame on you. Well, I have. <laughs> so... Um, that's the ba- that's the basic summary. We'll get into it a little bit deeper as we do our recap. Yeah. So this is a movie basically made by Luc Besson. He wrote and directed the film. I will say, and this is the only time we're going to mention it, we did not know until we did our research and had already planned this, that he was accused of some things during the Me Too movement and his kind of... Um, I don't, I don't know because he's in a different country, so I'm not sure. It seems like maybe court processes are still going on. Okay. So, at any rate, at the beginning of his career in 1980, he founded his own production company and he started writing this story basically when he was 16, um, but he was 38 by the time it opened in cinemas. Yeah. So, don't give up on your dreams, kids. I guess that's <laughs> the lesson there. Dust um, off that notebook that you started writing in in high school. Right. Well, you know, it's like sometimes people, when we had a publishing company people wonder this too they're like it's gonna take like a year for my book to get out i'm like yeah and, and we things did things time. and we did things fairly quickly yes, like some places take three or four years the film is basically inspired by the french comic books he read as a teenager which i think you can see in the visuals we'll talk about that more later over 50 movies Bisson created in 
and he also wrote the Arthur fantasy book series. So Arthur and the Minimoys, Arthur and the um, Invisibles also became a movie. Yep. He wanted to shoot this movie in France, but he couldn't really find the right facility. So it was filmed in London and Mauritania. They had a lot of interesting people work on this. Comic book artists, Jean Mobius Gerard, Jean-Claude... Mazirias. I'm so sorry. I don't. <laughs> I learned French, but I learned like, like I can read French, but I can't really pronounce it. Sorry. But they, they worked on, um, yeah, some of the visuals. And then the costume design was by Jean-Paul Gaultier, um, which he's a very famous designer. And if yep. you watch things like Project Runway, they talk about him a lot. So while they were in like pre-production, he approached Bruce Willis and also Mel Gibson for the lead role. So Willis expressed interest, but he didn't really want to do the film because the films that he had done just before this were Hudson Hawk and Billy Bathgate, and neither one of those was received very well. And then Mel Gibson also turned down the role. So Besson asked to speak to Bruce Willis just to like say hello. And basically he's like, the fifth element is going to go ahead, but we really wanted you, but I guess we're going to have to go with somebody who's less expensive. And Bruce (laughs) Willis was like, well, if I like the movie script, like we can work something out. So that's how he ended up basically taking the movie. But another interesting casting choice was they actually for chris tucker's ruby rod position they originally wanted prince Mm, that makes sense and prince actually met a few times with them and met with a costumer who was uh you mentioned him john paul gautier john paul gautier yeah and prince turned it down because john paul gautier actually offended prince because he kept (laughs) calling one of the areas of the one of the costumes i'm not even going to try to use the french word he was using yeah but it basically meant fake ass Oh. And Prince didn't care for that, and so he turned it down. Oh. But Chris Tucker said later that for the character, he tried to basically channel kind of a, a mixture of Prince and Michael Jackson. Except really ramped up. Yeah. <laughs> which we're going to talk about. So Gary Oldman is in the role of Zorg because um, Besson said he was one of the top five actors in the world. And so... I saw that he chose Mila Jovovich out of 200 to 300 applicants that he met. Yeah, he actually auditioned 8,000. That's crazy. Yeah, 8,000 people for the part, and she caught his eye in more ways than one because he married her. Oh, I didn't know that In 1997 when this movie was done. Well, then, yeah, then he had his eye on her, and that might explain some of the costume choices. (laughs) Um, But So they probably fell in love talking, speaking the divine language because it's a fictional language that he made up. It had about 400 words, so they would, like, talk to each other in the Mm -hmm. fake language and practice. At least it wasn't, like... I thought of this while we were watching, if it was like a Wookiee language, where it was just like, <laughs> you know. That's how we fell in love with Pig Latin. Yeah, but that's, no. yeah, exactly. Um, oh, because I saw that he was married to Maywen Lee Besco, who played the role of the diva when filming began. Was that the singer? He got married to her right after the movie. Oh, no. <laughs> This is this is a little more salacious than I thought. Um, so three different teams handled the three different types of special effects in the film. They had mechanical and pyrotechnical effects. Then they had creature effects. And then they had the digital effects. So 
That makes sense to me because you can tell like they had like a creature shop. Yeah, the little alien thing specifically in Zorg's office. Right. Looks very almost it almost looks Jim Henson y. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. And then I, I think it's interesting because nowadays they probably would just have a digital special effects, but I like that they had the mechanical pyrotechnic as a separate division. A practical effect is a practical effect. You know, right. it's hard to recreate digitally. Yeah, another fun fact about The Fifth Element is that Bassan felt like he wanted the movie to be intrinsically musical, is how he put it. So there's <laughs> music in over 90% of the film. I think you can tell, you know, but he also wanted, because it's the future, he wanted a lot of different genres. Right. So we see that in there as well. And then the last fact is just that, as we said already, it's going to return to theaters. And that's happening in June. So so that's a little bit about The Fifth Element. And we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about our memories. And then we'll do our full review and recap. This podcast is supported by its creators. And listeners like you. Help keep our show ad-free by visiting our website, StopRuiningMyChildhood.com. There you can find links to our social media. And this very podcast you're currently listening to. Both Megan and I are authors, and you can find links to our books on our About page. And on our Watch With Us page, you can find videos and links for all the shows and movies we discuss on the podcast. And more importantly, links to buy the nostalgic snacks we review as well. We also post bonus content about once a month. So like, subscribe, and follow. For a small independent podcast like ours, it really does make a difference. Thanks. And now back to the show. We're back. My name's Megan. And I'm Steve. This is our 25th episode if you're listening to this for the first time. Maybe you forgot our names. The 25th Spectacular. Extravaganza. 25, 25, 25. 25th episode. (laughs) 25th ranked movie of 25 years ago. That's And five questions at the beginning, which is the square root of 25. There we go. It's all math. I actually thought later that we should have picked speed because of it, they ride the bus 25-25. <laughs> it's sad that I know that fact. It's like a little piece of trivia. Anyway, but we're not talking about speed. We're talking about the fifth element. What are some of your memories? I have quite a few memories of the film, and I saw it in 1997 in the drive-in. Did you go, we're on a date? I may have been. I would have, it been, would, have would have been a year after I graduated high school, so, right. um, but yeah, I was at the drive-in and watched The Fifth Element, and I liked it, and then I've, I've seen it a number of times since, because this is one of those movies that, you know, went into... Uh, rotation on like the sci-fi network mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, probably some of the movie channels um, and, and it's even been on just normal TV channels now you yeah. know you, you'll get it with commercials but um, I mean it was PG-13 to begin with it had a big piece you know I wouldn't say that it like shaped my childhood because right. I was a little older at the time yeah uh, but I did like you know I did like it and I've seen it a number of times and it's one of those movies that when it's on I will you know, I'll sit down and if I'm flicking through channels or something and it comes on, I'll be like, oh, Fifth Element, and I'll kind of watch it. Before we got rid of cable. <laughs> right, which yeah. is meant, yeah. I mean, if I had to look back now and say, what was any, like, formative key memories to 25th Element, or, yeah, yeah, to the 25th, or to the, the Fifth, fifth element. element, I'm getting mixed up now. To the, If I had to look back and say, is there any formative memories to the Fifth Element, um, at 18, 19 years old, Mia Jovovich. I mean, come on. No, I don't like I mean, that either. There's no young man that lived in that time period that 
cannot see that white and orange outfit, if you want to call it yeah. that, and go, oh my gosh, Mia Jovovich. Somebody in the comments on this movie when I was doing research, somebody put, I remember nothing except that outfit and the fact that a lot of girls cosplay it. <laughs> That's yeah. about it. So my memory of this is kind of interesting. Um, I worked at the movie theater in high school at our local mall. <laughs> and so basically... Almost every movie that came out in like 95, 96, 97, I saw because I worked at the movie theater. And for whatever reason, I never saw this. So my only memory of this is the very last five minutes because we'd have to stand in the back the last five minutes and then go through and clean up. Okay. And sometimes also walking through um, to make sure like... Nobody had stuck in. People didn't have extra food. Nobody was being loud, right? You'd, like, walk up and down the aisle with, like, a flashlight. So my only memories of this movie are very random bits from the middle and then, like, the last five minutes. Which is why when I mentioned it to you originally, you said the fifth element is love. The, okay, because no, the he mentions love in the last five minutes, well, no, but, but also, it is not. But yes, she's the fifth element. No, there are fan theories about when you look up, is the fifth element love? There are a number of people who think that she's the supreme being, but that love has to activate her to become the fifth element. Yeah, so they're wrong. But they're not wrong because <laughs> Captain Planet. No, yeah, and that in itself was not an element. Wind, earth, fire, water. What's the fifth one? Heart. Right, which was just a throw-in because they. No, it's not a Uh, throw-in. Absolutely not. The element is love. Is heart. It's not. She she was the fifth element, and she's able to activate it. But she's unwilling at the end because she's just seen everything in the encyclopedia to deal with war. False. Um, and this is, and it comes into the themes because because the dark. Okay, I we well first of all before we get into all of that and the the, <laughs> the debate of apparently the quarter century in terms of this podcast. I, I don't think there's a debate, but go ahead. <laughs> Let's get into the full prize at the beginning of this movie. Is that we start in Egypt? In, I, I thought you were going to say Luke Perry was the surprise. Well, that was what I was going to say. First of all, that we start in Egypt in 1914. I didn't know it. At first that it was earth because it looks like Tatooine from Star Wars. <laughs> and I I go I said to Steve I go is that earth um and then yeah we have a young blonde Luke Perry yeah I don't la, know la. is this during 90210 is it just after probably at the tail end of it okay because I remember the height of it was like when I was in middle school right so it's either the tail but you know they hung out at the peach pit in college for quite a long time that is true yeah there was a long (laughs) so I'm not quite I'm not quite sure when that ended um it went from 90 to tw- to 2000, so it was 10 seasons. This would have been Luke Perry near the end. It would have been probably and he might not the have, sixth I know, or seventh season. Yeah, and they switched around cast quite a bit. Yeah. That show ran for 10 seasons? we got to revisit that at some point. <laughs> That's crazy to me. Anyway, ooh la la, hot, young, blonde Luke Perry. Is playing yes. like an artist slash archaeology I'm assistant. Here, I'm here for it, and he's a nerd. I love it. Um... Yeah, so we have 
this kind of, it is a little bit info dumpy, but it's an interesting way to introduce this. You know, a lot of this movie, I noticed, it's a mashup, and I think very intentionally so, of a lot of other different science fiction fantasy movies. And in some ways, it's almost an homage to all of those while being its own thing. Right. Right. So I think that it looks like Tatooine almost intentionally, that opening shot. Yes. With the sand and all of that. Um, But there are a number of theories that people have that like the aliens built the pyramids and it's kind of playing off of that, which I thought was kind of hysterically funny. But we have this archaeologist and he's like reading... The hieroglyphics? Yes, he's reading hieroglyphics and that he's found. when the three planets are in eclipse, the ultimate evil comes, and it's like snakes opening a doorway, and it happens every 5,000 years, to which Luke Perry responds. We've got some time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we have bringing the water, the fire, the earth, and the air that go all around a fifth element, which is, of course, heart. Um, And that makes an ultimate weapon. He sees these in the hieroglyphs. Right. And we see a priest looking on, unsettled. Yeah. Who then basically tries to, is going to poison them? Because, like, this priest is trying to protect the secret? Yes. Yes. But I think, yeah, it's not clear if he was trying to actually kill them or just, like, knock them out. He put something that looked... Like poison. But he gave him a Mickey. Into into (laughs) the water. Yeah, we're not sure. Then he says, forgive me, Lord, they know too much. The the spaceship then comes down. Luke Perry is scared out of his wits. He pulls out what looks like a very tiny Tommy gun. It's like a little German Luger with like a little clip in it. Okay. Which, yeah, would have been probably kind of period-specific, maybe. Yeah, this is just after War of the Worlds, a little bit after. Yeah. So it's not like these types of stories of aliens coming down didn't exist right. already. If you're so, thinking of 19... Like, yeah, 1914, yeah. yes. Yes. <laughs> not the movie. Right. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so I wasn't clear at first if they were the suits or the alien bodies. I thought that was kind of done in a cool way, that they kind of have an exoskeleton, but it's not clear if yeah. those are And sort of Muppetish too. Yeah. Like, they're not, like, a lot of times robots or, like, technical aliens, like machine-type aliens are done very with very hard lines. And I don't want to say aerodynamic, but very machinish. These were very round. They're metal, but they almost remind me of the bureaucrat aliens in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes. That's like a they good have point. a very large egg like shape yeah, to them almost. But it's really unclear if they're if those are metal suits, if they're made of metal, or if these are, like, drone sent. It, so I thought right. the alien design here was really cool, especially for the opening. The visual of the spaceship is awesome, too. Yeah, the spaceship was I, really well done. And I will say that that's one part that did hold up for me. I thought that all of the spaceships that they depicted, however, my guess is they did it with models. Yeah. And then also digital. So they probably did tech like mechanical plus digital to yeah, get I, that effect. Well, because what I will say going into this movie as a whole recap to begin with is whatever we might come to say about maybe the plot or the storyline or things like that nature, this movie is like a visual fruit salad. Like there's a lot of yeah. crazy visuals and, and effects 
and I thought that you know it, it's you see the lights and the door open for the aliens, mm-hmm. but then it does a quick flash outside, and you see the silhouette of this ship that's way bigger than anything else. Yes, against the horizon. And we also have this joke where the archaeologist has been yelling at this young kid to hold up basically like a a metal sheet to get better light. Yeah, shining. like as a mirror almost. <laughs> and the ship's lights. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, oh, that's much better. Yeah. Um, and doesn't realize because he's so intent on his work. The visual fruit salad, to me, you know, again, before we get into piece by piece, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Because at times, now I will say this for people who love this movie. This is, again, a very personal thing. I have sensory processing not i don't know if issues is the right word (laughs) um i have some sensory processing issues and so if it's like too visually stimulating Mm -hmm. and i also to me it's confusing like the world building because it's such a mishmash now i think that that's a note to especially at the time 97 the globalization that was beginning to take place yes on earth itself but it's such a mishmash that it's it's just sometimes there's a bit like too much but one of the aliens gets trapped inside the sarcophagus yeah the aliens show up yes. and they say earth's no longer safe for the four, for the five elements right so they take the four stones and they take the fifth element which is almost in like its own like coffin sarcophagus mm-hmm. very almost egyptian like with yeah. like humanoid carvings right. of a face and things and they take those and load them into their ship, and then something trips the stone doors, basically. Probably to close. taking them off, kind of like right. Indiana Jones. And, and so one last alien gets caught in between it, but he sticks his hand out with the key attached to his finger and yes. basically tells the priest, like, you know, this is your mission, like, guard this until we come back, basically. Yeah. There's no reason for him to get trapped in the sarcophagus. He had to make a sacrifice, Megan. Everybody else left Megan, on the ship. Megan. Don't ruin his sacrifice. So much about this movie doesn't make sense. This is the first. This was the first thing where I had question marks. Um, so then we we move forward three hundred years in space, and we get this explanation of this thing. They try to shoot at it. It doesn't work. Well, it first opens up. Says it says three hundred years later. Yeah. And you're in a spaceship, and it opens up to the computer panel, and it shows the three planets aligning. Right. So you realize you're now at that point. Right. And it actually shows almost like a almost like a warp hole or a gate open. Mm-hmm. And this black chaos comes through and forms a planet, almost like a planet. Right. And at first they're not sure if it is a planet. I just wish that they, I don't know. I know we're trying to get to the action because it is an action movie. But at the same point, they're explaining... Wherever there is life, it brings death. Shooting it would only make it stronger. How do you even know that, though? Well, it's just a thing that's just come out. Well, the spaceship is radioing all this stuff back to the president of the the Federation. Yeah, but it's just... Um, on Earth. And he has his advisors. And one of the advisors there is Father Vito Cornelius. Oh. Well, one of his advisors looks like Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's... That is true. That's... The father. That right? yes, that's Father Vito Cornelius. Then another the another advisor, possibly the vice president, looks like a female version of Spock. Like very intentionally, the haircut and <laughs> yes. the clothes. 
Then we have a third guy who just wants to shoot at it. He looks like Pat. Yes. He looks like General Patton. Yeah. Which he's supposed to because he's yeah. like a military commander on the spaceship. Yeah. But Father Vito Cornelius Steps stands up and he is the last priest descendant of this order that were protecting the key. So he knows about this whole prophecy. And that's why he's kind of saying, you know, you can't stop it. It's ultimate evil. And no one seems to believe him. It's also, it's our first introduction to him as the priest. And he's played by Sir Ian Holm. He's also, he's not the last. Because he has, like, an acolyte who wears a hat that looks like Devo from that I music I think his video. Devo hat means he's not a full priest. <laughs> so he is the like, last. It's like a nun's. Yeah. Like, yeah. When the nuns have like the short yeah. habit before they get he's the He's like full. an assistant alien priest. Yeah. I don't so, know. But, the, but Father Vito Cornelius is played by Sir Ian Holm, mm-hmm. who is an actor who has a long list of achievements. He's, he's English. He's been knighted by the Queen. He's been in a lot of things, starting all the way back with uh, Chariots of Fire. Oh, okay. Um, more recently, most many people might know him as he played Bilbo Baggins in the in the, the Lord of the Rings. That's where I knew him for. Okay, thank you. Yes, because that was driving me crazy. Yeah, because I was like, I know this guy from. Someplace. But he's classically trained. He was part of the Royal Shakespearean Company. Right. He's been in a lot of the movies of Shakespeare stories. You know, he's a great actor. So it's funny because we have this like crazy sci-fi-ish movie, and yeah. then there's like this really well-trained accomplished actor in it playing Cornelius. Yeah, so the aliens that we saw earlier are trying to now bring the four the five elements to Earth. Yes. And they are killed. destroyed. Yeah, they're destroyed and killed in the process. And then it cuts to Bruce Willis, who is blonde. <laughs> <laughs> Very blonde. Which was my um my like my first note, Bruce Willis is blonde question mark. Because what's hilarious is there are two versions that I know of Bruce Willis. The first is the bald Bruce Willis. Just He just straight up shaved his head. He was like, I'm not doing that horseshoe ring. He was one of the first well-known people to kind of do that and set that trend. I hate to say this, but I had the same hair color that year. <laughs> of course you did. The bleach blonde. My, oh. my brother Bill and I both went and had... <laughs> Bleach, ble- yeah, it was, and it was so. It's such because we're normally brunettes. It's it's such an issue because they actually basically bleach your hair. Yeah. And then blonde because you have, oh. you know, it's it's yeah, it's 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 a process. So you really went to the salon. For oh that. yeah, we went to yeah. It's not like we did it at home. <laughs> and Kevin didn't. No, he was too young at the time. He was like twelve. And it's it's a fantastic look, especially like two or three months later when your roots start coming in. Yeah. There's a reason we didn't date in high school. Yeah. <laughs> but um I say that I just for our listeners, we didn't know each other in high school. It's right. not like we knew each other and I looked at Steve and was like, No. Yeah, and I was like, I'm too good for her. No, <laughs> stop. Um, yeah, so the other Bruce Willis that I knew know besides the bald Bruce Willis is brunette Bruce Willis from Moonlighting. Yes. So here he's blonde and it was just, yeah, it was kind of a shock. It's the trifecta. There's a lot here that is very 1996 or 1997 as opposed to 300 years from now. <laughs> he lives in what looks like a storage container with kind of Star Trek doors. Yep. His phone looks very 90s. His refrigerator looks very 90s. The phones, all, they all have, you know, in the 90s, the, the landline phones went from like that almost C hand 
the classic phone hand uh, set, they went to almost just like a long rectangle. Yeah. It was very flat. Yeah. It looks like they just cut cords off those, and that's the phone. I think in, they the did. In yeah, I think that they did. Uh, and it's also hilarious that no one has a visual phone. Like, no one has, like, a cell phone or something because we're not there yet. There's also screaming ads on the TV. Yes. Which is Chris Tucker. Yep. He gets four cigarettes a day that come into this little compartment in his apartment, and the cigarettes are three-quarters filter. <laughs> yes. People are still smoking. Like, yeah. I feel... So, it's just kind of... That was, to me, a little bit funny because some sci-fi films really read the future and some sci-fi films look more like a version of their present you yeah. know like like um back to the future part two their vision of the future is more like that like a hyped version of the 80s right even though it's supposed to be like 2025 yeah. or whatever yeah um but most people usually go dystopian or utopian yeah this, this is, is not really dystopian but it's dirty it's not great. Well, because he's left the special forces and he's divorced and he's not, he's kind of hiding out in this low rent neighborhood. Yeah. That's the impression that you get, right? Um, so, but there's other things like when he's driving his cab, there's dice on the mirror, like the hanging fuzzy dice, yeah. right? There's all those things. So in some ways, because of that, it looks a little cheap. It also, again, the visual fruit salad Every set is just cluttered with stuff. Like yes. he's got trophies ever. Which why do you have trophies? We don't know. He's got just junk everywhere. Um, it, it's interesting though because as you, you know, you're talking about other um, other sci-fi movies. A lot of other sci-fi movies go super minimalistic. Yeah, like everything's super sleek and stuff. So this is interesting that they went the opposite way. I thought it was a, it's an interesting choice. Yeah. So you you get introduced to him in this tiny apartment. It's garbage, really. You see a mention that his wife. He's talking to his friend, and he's still a little bit hung up on his wife, who's left him because the he'd been in the military. And then he jumps into his cab, and we find out also that he doesn't have a lot of points left on his license, which is interesting. Is it because you know we you would assume even. You know, today's nature, cabbies are on the road so much, they're going to, statistically, they're going to have a chance of getting more accidents and things like that, right? Yeah. It's also, actually, now that I think of it, it's funny because a lot of places don't even have cabs anymore because of, like, Uber and, yeah. and Lyft and all well, of and that. They thought, and this place is cluttered with, this is oh, like, it's, totally. it's New York City and it's, like, cluttered with cabs. Yes, but they are flying, so that's fun. And then we go back to the engineering the girl, to Lilo. Yep. We find out that although the, the Mangalores, who were the bad guy aliens, they look kind of like cross between like a dog and a pig. Um, and they're a warrior race. While they destroyed the Guardian ship with this that we thought had the elements on it and everything, the fifth element was aboard and they found enough genetic material from what was left of her that they're able to re basically rebuild her right yeah they, genetic they re-engineer yeah re-engineering um well i say re-engineering it because they're not sure until it's created that it's a woman yeah and they're like oh it's a woman hmm. and is it <laughs> um so she's basically they have this tube and it shows her be re-engineered from you know, bone to muscle. And then it's interesting because you don't think about it too often. 
but they put in the shielding and say, okay, here's the last step. We have to bombard her or bombard the body with UV rays so that as a protective element, the body develops skin. Yeah. And it's interesting because that's what our skin does, right? Yeah. But you don't think about that. And so they do that and they open it up and you have naked Mia, v- Mia Jovovich, which I'm like, there it is. Um, and then quickly they cover her with straps, um, which is basically all her outfit's made of. Right. Um, and she's got bright orange hair. For no... For no apparent reason. Well, um, but whatever. maybe that was just in the genetic code. We don't yeah. know. And so she basically is freaking out that she's trapped in this tube. She doesn't speak English. And they walk up and say, you know, if you want to get out, you got to figure out how to communicate better with us. Because this tube's unbreakable, and she punches through it and grabs the key and lets herself out. And then she jumps through the wall. It's trying to show right from the get-go that the supreme being is like a superhero, basically. Right. So she falls into Bruce Willis's lap, as you said. Yeah, she goes through the wall, and she ends up climbing through some air vents and stuff until she's on the outside of the building. But of course, because there's flying cars, these buildings are like thousands of feet tall. So she jumps off the edge of the building and falls through the roof of his cab that's flying by. And then we have a very long chase scene. Yeah, the police try to chase her and he decides to help. You know how I feel about chase scenes. I know you don't care for chase, but that's normal chase scenes. This is an air car chase scene. It's still just excessive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... My highlight here, though, even though I don't love chase scenes, my highlight here ties in with our snack. Because what do they crash into? McDonald's. A huge McDonald's flying <laughs> yeah, truck. The... And when they do that, fries fall out. Yeah, one of the cop cars crashes into a yes. and And when the, when the chase scene starts, one of the cops cars is getting drive through at the mcdonald's yeah so it's kind of funny because obviously they got a little sponsorship to help Mm -hmm. pay for some of these special effects but we we didn't know that at the time so he basically takes the car into like a a spiral dive yes and hides out in an alley behind a sign and then you have some really cool practical i don't know if they did this practical or how they did it but with them kind of like sideways in this car and then he takes off his seatbelt and like falls yeah he has to climb back into the back seat because she's kind of has lost consciousness right then so then he she's basically lost consciousness she's in and out and he says, you know, I'm trying to help you. And she says, Cornelius the priest. And that's the only thing that she says and she loses consciousness. Yeah. So he basically looks up the Cornelius in the phone book, basically. Yeah. So this next section, there are two highlights for me. The first is that while they're at the priest's place and she's passed out, he just decides to kiss her. Yeah. He kiss. Well, he. I think he, he, someone says, like, wake her up. Yeah. And he decides to kiss her. And next thing he knows, he has a gun pointed at his head. She grabs his gun and puts it to his head. And he goes, nope, yep, you're wrong. That was a bad choice. (laughs) And she says something in this alien language that he can't understand. And what she ends up saying is ectogamut, which means never without my permission. Yes. And then he goes, yeah, I kind of got that. (laughs) Yeah. He got the message without getting the message. And then my second highlight is that um, just as in Splash, where... Madison learns English from watching TV. Lilo looks at the internet, basically. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, it is it is like, also, it's a very 96 version of the internet. Yes. Which made me kind of laugh. in 300 years. 
but in well 300 years from 1914 right, right. um but it's a very so wow 200 still years. 200 years old, yeah <laughs> but she basically learns english from just looking at the internet yes for a couple of minutes and um the stones are stolen and we've seen zorg once from the back but now we finally see zorg gary oldman yeah we get to meet zorg who is sort of the boots on the ground bad guy for the evil planet yeah it's basically like the the humanoid representation yes right um okay so this is my low light here what did you think of zorg's outfit Oh, it's crazy, but there's a lot of crazy outfits. But no, it's the glass, like, like the glass half hat that he has on his forehead. Or plastic. So he has half of his head is shaved. The part that's shaved has like a glass or plastic kind of dome hat. I don't know. It's clear and see through. I don't know if that's a functional thing where <laughs> I like don't it's think protecting so. his head. But the other thing is, I know that it's a very fancy French designer who designed these outfits, but he has what looks like a cheap $10 Walmart plastic raincoat on. <laughs> when we first see him, it's like one of those rainbow pleather. It has like a sheen to yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, it looks like a lot of what people wear, including Mila Jovovich's character, Lilo, a lot of what people wear in this looks like 90s club wear. Yeah. Right? That's kind of the vibe. So I also felt like Gary Oldman is one of the greatest actors of our generation. I think that he's underrated. I think that he does transform into a lot of different parts. So I can only say, is this the director then? Because he's he's over the top and like campy here. I think And it's... I know that's intentional, but it's not great. You know? Yeah, I think it's just I mean, we know Gary Oldman is a phenomenal actor. And he yeah. plays, he's like a man of a million faces, right? And he can play so many different roles. Uh, we know, as you mentioned earlier during the like, historical pieces, he kind of did this as a favor. You know, uh, Luc Besson had f- helped fund the first movie Gary Oldman directed. Oh. So he, this was kind of <laughs> like, Gary Oldman once said when asked about it, this was me kind of working for my supper. Right. So yeah, he kind of owed sense. him, yeah. Because I put he's great in everything. Yeah. <laughs> what did we when when we reviewed something and Roger Ebert said, "Oh, it was Dream a Little Dream," and he was like, "I love everything this actor does except this movie," <laughs> yeah. and that's kind of how I felt here. Also, he has this weird sometimes Southern accent, but it comes and goes. Like sometimes it's there, <laughs> but sometimes it isn't. So, listen, if you can hear our dog in the background, I apologize. And if you can't, then just know that she is crying right now because we've been talking on here for an hour now. Um, then he almost chokes on a cherry. I'm like, why not just let the guy choke on a cherry? Yeah, we have a, we have a lot of pieces with his introduction. First, he meets with um, the Mongolors. Right. And we find out that he was behind them attacking the, the attack. Guardians. Right. Um, and he has he had to deal with them if they got him the four stones, um, which they bring the empty case, but didn't realize it was empty. Right. If they got him the four stones, he was giving them, he's, he's like an industrialist and he makes weapons as well. And so he was giving them four cases of these weapons, which he, def, he, he gives us like a rundown of, uh, of how the weapon works. 
for the aliens, but it's for everyone else. It's like this multifunctional weapon that has like a machine gun, rockets, arrow darts, a flamethrower, a net. And a right? red button at the bottom. Yeah, and a red button on the bottom. It's supposed to be like this fantastic all-around weapon that these these warriors are like, yeah, we want this. Yeah. But I kept, I have to say as a low point, that would be impressive today. But in 300, we couldn't put like a phaser or like a laser that yeah. dissolves things. Nothing on it is actually futuristic. It's all stuff you could probably do today. <laughs> yeah, it's a little like James Bondy. Yeah, of. and it's even made, It's it's got kind of a, a camouflage outside. What are you camouflaging from in space? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Right? It doesn't... It, it, I, I feel like not a lot of thought was put into that choice. But they also have, like, kind of a visual gag with them playing around with it, and the the net comes out. Yes. And, and then they're kind of trapped in the net and bumbling. So then we have, again, with, like, the weird mix of all the cultures and everything, we have... Bruce Willis's character. Yeah, uh, Corbin Dallas. Corbin. I almost called him Dallas. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to get it wrong. Um, yeah, so we have Bruce Willis's character, Corbin, and he's buying Chinese food from a floating boat. Yeah, it's like a floating, it's like a floating food truck. Yeah. <sighs> which is kind of a neat idea. It just comes right up to your window in your apartment. You open it and they just give you the food through your window. I really liked that, actually. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's kind of like Chinese food delivery, but like done in a cool way. So yeah. that, that was like a weird, I don't know. It's a small bit, but it's a weird highlight. His mom calls him and it's like, this movie doesn't know what it wants to be. Like, be a comedy or don't be a comedy, but they try to, like, be an action movie with some comedic elements, but not... Does, does Luke Besson have, like, a naggy mom? I don't know. Because I feel like it's a running bit he's trying to force in. Yeah, and <laughs> also the mom does not sound older. She just sounds she like, sounds like a Long 20. Island-ish. Yeah, a little bit. She sounds like a 20 or 30-year-old from Long Island calling him. And at first I thought that it was his ex because of that. Yeah. But it's supposed to be his mom. But he's like maybe 40, Yeah, right? maybe, yeah. So she would be like 65, 70. Mm-hmm. And she sounds like, and you never call me. I'm like, that's not... Yeah. I don't know. It was very, it was kind of an odd choice. So because of that, like, at that point, I was like, this story at this point doesn't really feel cohesive. So, like, there's cool little bits, but um, it's a lot shoved in. So then we have General Monroe come in with what looks like a very angry bulky princess leia <laughs> yes with the with the with the buns on the side of her head yes the dual buns um and another person who did not strike me as much as the fake princess leia did. yes so what were you gonna say it, about general it, it's interesting here too because you mentioned that but actually one of the criticisms is that a lot of the women in this movie are portrayed either as ultra feminized mm-hmm. as like the flight attendant and the right. McDonald's ladies who are really sexual. Yeah. Or like the major who's very masculine. It is. It's really bifurcated in that way. And it's just, I'm not going to get into it, but it's very clearly a male lens movie. Yeah. It's seen through the male gaze and the women are what the women are. Now the opera singer later is 
one of the few characters who's female who's like dressed appropriately (laughs) and is clearly beautiful but also she is a classical opera singer right and an alien um yeah we didn't talk about the flight attendants with like the cutouts above their breasts and well we didn't get to that that part yet oh that's true we didn't um, so the so the general comes in and basically they reactivate corbin and put him on a mission to go find the stones. Right. Um, and they fix this vacation contest to win, basically win two tickets. And it's interesting because they buried this a little bit earlier in the in the movie. The first time we see Corbin in his apartment, the TV little screen is talking about this. Right, because it has Chris Tucker. How it's yeah. like it's basically a promotion. Yeah, and you can you enter to win two tickets to this. Like, this beach planet and this floating hotel spaceship. Um, so would you say it's two tickets to paradise? <laughs> it is two tickets to So basically they fix the contest so that Dallas, that Corbin Dallas wins it and has to take somebody with him. Um, and so, of course, he takes Lilu. Because also, chunky Princess Leia... And I'm choking myself, so I'm just saying she's she's, she's blocky. She's very masculine. Yeah, that's what looking. I mean yes. when I say chunk. I don't mean chunky like overweight. I mean like she's strong. very muscular and large. So yes. I'll put it that way: muscular Princess Leia apparently is too ugly to be his wife, and he's right. like, "I'm not doing." Then we have this thing, also with weird music, where it's like a Benny Hill almost feel where he's hiding them in his refrigerator and then he has to hide Lilo in the shower shower, which father Cornelius has to get stuck in the bed. Yeah. And it's also what I did like about this is it's, it's like a tiny house. Yeah. So all these parts are kind of moving, but it's, it's so, I don't know. I don't understand this movie. I guess. (laughs) I don't know. This is another, and I know other people have talked about this. Multipass. Multipass. Yeah. Multipass? Is it a multipass, Lilo? Yeah. I didn't know. Even yeah. Bruce Willis' Even Bruce character, Willis says it, yeah. He gets annoyed. He's like, we know it's a multipass. Right. So at any rate, there's there are these impersonators trying to pretend to be him, uh, shape-shifting kind of alien, whatever, and they get on Paradise. Yeah, and that's where they meet Ruby Rod. Played by Chris, Chris Tucker. Tucker. Yes. <sighs> okay. The thing is that he, Chris Tucker has a very strident voice anyway. Mm. And here it's like, it's like Chris Tucker, but like on a lot of cocaine. <laughs> yes. Like he is really obnoxious. And then he's like sexual, but weirdly sexual with some of like the flight attendants. So he's kind of gross. He's like kind of sexually harassing him. But I have to say... Out of all, you know, I was talking about Gary Oldman's costume earlier, but Chris Tucker's costume, just like Lilo's, is iconic. The, the blonde, bleach blonde hair where hit the end of his hair looks like a pool noodle. Yeah, He has a top on that's cut so that it would show cleavage if he were a woman. Yeah, it's like, it's, well, so to Or me, décolletage. Yeah, décolletage. <laughs> um, it's a very wide collar. What's interesting to me about this is that this is a place where if you're into fashion, if you, even if you watch, like, like I mentioned before, shows like Project Runway or whatever... Avant-garde fashion is hard to get right because a lot of times it can look so costumey and it's very, it's supposed to be experimental where it's like where art meets fashion and then eventually you have like commercial fashion versions of the experimental stuff, right? 
So here, to me, this is avant-garde done right. Mm-hmm. It it looks like it doesn't look costumey so much as it's a futuristic version. And it's very much like his it's very clear that his sexuality is kind of fluid, right? Yes. And possibly his gender is kind of fluid. Yeah. So we have this like really wide collar and the hair, and it's over the top, but it's to me it's kind of over the top in the right way. Yeah, but you know, <clears throat> I'm actually glad that Chris Tucker was in this point, this role, because even though it's kind of loud and over the top in the, the clothes that he's wearing are as well, if yeah. Prince, who was originally supposed to be in this part, was in it, you would have looked at it and just go, oh, it's Prince. Right. Because Prince wears really loud stuff normally. Yeah, he did. And I will also say that, too, Prince was a very quiet, retiring kind of person. Now, that's not to say if he's in a role, he might not try to play that role. But I don't see... I see him doing this role totally differently. And also, this is supposed to be... What's interesting to me, of course, this is really before influencers, but it's clear that this guy is like a social media influencer. He's got some spots on TV, but he's kind of like podcasting this or like video blogging, right? It's, it's Well, it's all audio because he has a microphone. Yeah, it's There's totally no cameras, audio. Right. So it's like a radio program. Well, I mean, but before earlier, he had the TV spots before doing the promos. Right. It's an interesting character to me. It's a little grating, but it is, again, it's supposed to be campy and over the top. Well, I will tell you, Chris Tucker's performance divided critics. Oh, did it? Yeah, and uh, we now you know I have my section later where we'll talk about the movie, right? Yeah. The and re- how, it was, how it was received. But Chris Tucker's performance as Ruby Rod was praised in the Los Angeles Times and by Time Magazine. Time Magazine called him the summer's most outrageous special effect. <laughs> That's not far <laughs> off. Yet, Josh Winning of Total Film singled out Tucker's performance as the low point of the film, mm. ranking it number 20 on his list of 50 performances that ruined movies. I, I don't w- know if I would push it that far. <laughs> I want to know what number one was. <laughs> Because I have a vote for number one, but I don't know if um, I don't want to I don't want to anger people. But anyway, to move to, to move on, he's very flamboyant. He's very loud. He's very you know it, he actually does a great job if you think of it of playing a radio host or a show host because he never allows downtime. He's right. talking very fast and always feeling, and it frustrates him when he asks. Corbin Dallas a question he's like you know how do you feel you won this big thing and he puts a microphone in his face and Bruce Willis goes fine and that's (laughs) it yeah pretty good (laughs) and he's like talk more (laughs) yeah and he kind of thinks Bruce Willis is boring until later in the movie where all hell breaks loose and then he's like oh yeah, so it's interesting that in some in some sense it's like a a good performance, but in other sense it's kinda not. Um they arrive at this hotel this extravagant floating hotel ship that circles this planet of beaches basically and here's where we come to the part with the opera singer now i don't know why they're separated for this but he's there to see the he's there for the opera singer it's a very old-fashioned theater that they're in what kind of what alien does the singer remind you of with the blue I don't like know. Like hair what? tentacle kind of. Are you talking about the 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 twill from Star Wars? Maybe. They yeah. have um like tentacles. There yeah. was one that was a Jedi. Yeah, and they have the Naveen. I think I'm also because they're blue as well. But from, now I know they were later. From the Naveen from Avatar. 
Oh yes, from Avatar. But that's later. That's obviously. that's later. Yes. But um, the way that they did the effects, mixing the makeup with probably a little bit of digital, it's very well done. Yeah. And I also, to me, this was a highlight of the movie, kind of like the Egyptian part in the beginning, because it's just a visual break for a while, and it's much calmer than the other parts of the movie. Now it's doing that to almost act as the climax, a turning point, not the high point, but the turning point. Yes. Because we're going to go into like the last act of the movie where it's gearing up for the race back to earth to get all the elements together and all of that. Right. right? But the way that they filmed this almost like a, a lot of mobster movies do this as well, where there'll be like Italian opera in the background and then the fighting yeah. going on. She's doing her opera and it's flashing back and forth to Lilo, who's in a hotel room fighting the Mongolors. Right. And it's awesome because you get this. What they did a good job of is that as the music starts off very classic opera, it's their slow lead into the fight. And then the music almost goes to almost like a hip-hop. There's a hip-hop beat behind it when they're in the scenes with Lilu, but the opera music's still going on. But for, for maybe a good two, three minutes, it's just the singer and shots of Bruce Willis reacting to it. Because as crazy as this is... I don't really feel the love between them, but he is supposed to be falling in love at the same time. Right. So he's experiencing this kind of, probably this kind of peace and calmness for the first time in at least a long while. Everyone's mesmerized by her. Yes. And the interesting thing here is Diva Plava Laguna, which is the the singer. That's her her alien name, right? Oh, okay. Diva Plava Laguna. I thought for a minute that was the actress. (laughs) No. The actress who'd originally been chosen dropped out. Oh. And so Luc Besson cast his wife, Maywin Lebesco, as the alien. And then during the shooting, left her for Mia Jovovich. Yikes. And then he was only... Which we kind of hinted at at the beginning. Yeah, he was only married to Mia Mia Jovovich for two years and then left her right after filming her as the lead in Joan of Arc. Oh, geez. The movie. Did he go back? he did. So, is that his, his, his ex-wife singing? I don't know if she's singing or if they dubbed it. Whoever because, is doing the singing is amazing. Yes. But either way, just her role, not just the singing, but her presence and everything. Yes. I'm like, for having someone drop out and you just plug your wife in, that's a pretty, she did a pretty good job. Yeah. It's so unfortunate. And also that she'd probably have to see them together and kind of know what was going on. I don't want to... I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> the Mongolors break into that opera chamber. Right. And just start tearing everything up. Shooting everybody. Again, know. a lot like a mobster movie. Where, you know, like the Tommy gun kind of thing that we saw kind of in Egypt. But we have then... She tells Bruce Willis that the four elements are inside of her. Again... What? We don't know how well, that we know happened. From or in the what? Mo- we know from early in the movie that she's the one that the Guardians gave them to because they trusted her. I know, but she like ate them or whatever? Somehow, because he reaches up <laughs> through don't... one of her bullet wounds and starts removing the stones from inside her body. I can't. That she's dead. I When she said that, I thought that they... Because she's wearing like 
you know, costume like you yeah. would wear for the opera. I thought that they would be like, you know, on her jewels or yeah. inside, you know. No, they're in the, her bullet wounds. The other thing is, too, is when she steps out on stage and starts singing, the reaction from everybody is legit because Luc Besson didn't let anyone in the cast see her until she stepped out on stage. Oh, interesting. With the makeup and the blue and everything. They didn't know what she would look like. So then we have the final action and finally we see... The diehard version of Bruce Willis, but blonde. Yes. He starts getting all the weapons, and he saves Ruby Rod, who's freaking out. Right. And, of course, this whole battle is going on live radio. That was my one, because I don't love, like, big shoot 'em up scenes, like, whatever. We already know who the good guys are, and here they're going to win, right? But... What I did love is that they cut away to the president with the generals, Mm -hmm. and they're like... Is this what you call a low-key mission? Yeah. <laughs> because it's being broadcast and he's the most popular broadcaster. <laughs> yeah. What can I what can I compare it to? Okay, like it would be like if Joe Rogan were going live and he, right. Yeah. He's got like the number one podcast right now. Right. It would be like if he were going live and they can hear everything that's going it's, on. It's like if he was going live in the middle of a Navy SEALs mission. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> going to find Bin Laden and he's like what's going on like that's about we're down behind a wall right now (laughs) that's about what's going on except that you have somebody who's absolutely over the top ridiculous back to Zorg we forgot about him for a bit Gary Oldman Zorg because he's behind the scenes puppeting all this yes so he had come in grabbed the container for the for the stones left a bomb and took off in his spaceship yeah and at the same time that Diva Playa Laguna tells Bruce Willis, they're inside me. He opens the case and once again, for the second time in a movie, has an empty case with no stones. And he does this weird, again, this has got to be the directing, because he does this weird, like, laughing thing. And then almost crying. Yeah, he's like, ha 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 ha, they're not here. Like, make a choice, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, he returns to the ship as they're leaving. So he comes in, heads to the hotel room where this battle was. And they get on his ship and leave. Yes. (laughs) And he stops the bomb, but then one of the aliens... Yeah, the Mongolors left a bomb as well. For honor. Yeah, because they're warriors. So the ship's destroyed, and they go back. They're able to do this ceremony. And on the way back, and this is kind of the important piece, right? Right. On the... On the way back, she's finishing her encyclopedia, and she hits W in war. Right. And she starts seeing videos of atomic bombs and all the Holocaust, all these terrible aspects of a war. And it really affects her. Now, having said that, the implication also, though, is that that's the kind of destruction that the this big evil will bring that right. it'll be even worse than all of these wars that she's seen but her choice here is like i'm here as the supreme being to save this world do i want to do that when they're already destroying themselves right so it is an interesting conundrum so then she kind of doesn't want to play her part yeah they get to the ancient pyramid or the the ancient tomb in egypt where the story started in 1914 right they place the stones they have to figure out how to activate them which is kind of a you know it's a it's a time running out situation right the it's a run evil down the planets clock. firing coming closer and closer 
Um, they figure out how to activate them, you know, blow on the air, on the wind. You have to put fire on fire, dirt on earth, things like that, right? Water on water. Right. They're like, do we have any matches? <laughs> yeah. I'm out of matches. Um, and then they place her in the center and she's supposed to activate everything as the fifth element. And she doesn't want to. And this is where Luc Besson actually said in an interview, you know, what he wanted for this movie was, Lilu states, what's the use of saving life when you see what you do with it? Right. Meaning all this war and stuff. And he wanted the audience to see that and then agree with her. Oh, okay. Was kind of part of his theme behind this, right? Because if you think about it, and I said earlier, this isn't dystopian, but it's kind of dirty. It's a violent world, right? There's a lot of militaristic government. There's a lot of police. There's a lot of violent aliens. So she, she makes this statement and shows like an apathy to want to activate this weapon. And... You know, he says, well, there's a lot of great things, too, not just bad things in the world. And she says, like, love? And she looks at him all doe-eyed. And he says, yeah. And she says, I don't know love. She says, I was just created to be a weapon. And he's, like, looking back at her. And the priest and Ruby Rod are all like, just tell her, Corbin. Tell her how you feel. And so he says, I love you. And he kisses her. And that encourages, basically gives her the feeling of love, and she activates to save them. love's the fifth element. It's not. She's the fifth element. No, she's the supreme being. Love just helped her activate. She is the supreme being. You don't understand the movie. she can't activate without, you don't understand Uh, the movie. And then, of course, we have a follow-up scene, basically, just a little tag scene. The president comes to thank them, and they're in the same regenerator that she was created in earlier. Right. And they're being, because they were worn out, and they were both injured. Yeah. And... He, somebody goes to look in and they're having sex in it basically and that's where it ends right and you're like oh they're in love and they're and that's it's kind of a funny thing not what i said <laughs> um, and of course the president yeah. somehow ends up on the phone with corbin's mom again nagging because corbin's mom keeps trying to call it. yeah it's like a weird joke kind of shoved in here's the thing i bruce willis at this point i mean i don't know bruce willis has like a magnetism, not necessarily an attractiveness, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a magnetic, he's a star for a reason. Right. Mila Jovovich is beautiful in this movie, obviously. Yeah. That does not necessarily mean that they have chemistry together. And I don't, I don't know that that's their chemistry together, or if it's just the way this story is kind of so overstuffed with visuals and weird world building that they don't... They needed some quiet moments with just the two of them mm-hmm. to build the love story a little bit more. For it me. went too fast to build. It went really too that. fast because they're just running the whole. It's basically almost like the movie's one long chase yeah. scene. We kind of see an attraction between them, but not like a deep seated right. love. Like we talked about, you know, I will, I'll I'll compare it to Splash again because we do have again uh, that fish out of water. <laughs> I hate, I love puns. Um, The fish out of water thing where you have somebody who's not of this world or of this earth, they only have a short time together and in that short time you fall in love. We talked about with Splash that you do feel that they did fall in love in those two or three days. Here, they're attracted to each other maybe, but they're running around. I don't see, like even if they had had, like if she had been in the opera with him for a little bit Mm -hmm. and they saw that together and they looked at each other and then she was like, I have to go to another part of the ship. But if they had had that quiet moment together even, 
Or if they had had a quiet moment later when they're flying in the spaceship and she's looking at war, maybe if she had talked to him about it. And even before that, I don't know. Or before, I don't know, when she's in the um, shower and hiding. Yeah. (laughs) And then he puts the thing. But there was her and also the priest and also the people from the military. Right. So they don't even have that much time alone together. Yeah. That's That's, that's a true statement. And I will say one one of the only one of the biggest mistakes I think was made here by Luke Basson was you have Bruce Willis who's a who's a great as the main you know protagonist you have Gary Oldman who's amazing as your antagonist right as your yes. villain and you realize you I don't know if you did or not by watching it they never oh, share a scene I didn't until you just started talking they're about never it. together they're never in together. the entire movie yeah. they never shared one scene in the filming. Does she share a scene with him? Uh, not not with Gary. Oh, yes, with Gary Oldman she does. He's right. shooting at her in the hotel oh, room. Oh, okay. But Bruce Willis and him are never together. Yeah, and before we get to our ratings, let's hear about the reception. All right. Because so I don't want to get too much into it. The reception. The film premiered in May of 97. Okay. Um, and, and actually, they premiered it at the Cannes because this is a fr- it's a foreign film. Right, yeah. It was done by... by, by Which... Uh, Luc Besson's French film company. Can I say something too before you go on? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't mention this. A lot of the background people who have small lines, I wondered, I mean, I know they ended up filming in London and Mauritania. I wondered if they were French because many of the smaller lines are said in English the way that it's like they memorized the English to be able to say the line. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed that. There's like a lot, this happens a lot in Bollywood movies too. Sometimes yeah. they'll have people who are, like English speaking, but they don't really speak it. So they'll memorize like the phonetics mm-hmm. of it. I just, I don't know if that's what happened there, but I would guess. Yeah, so probably. It debuted at Cannes. So okay. it debuted at Cannes, huge reception. And Bassan spent almost a million dollars on the debut. Oh, okay. He had a special theater built for it to be the, it was the headliner at Cannes that year. Oh. He had people's ticket to come in or special swatches. That were Fifth Element. Swatches. And that was your ticket to get in. Like, it was a big deal, right? But then they it, they, it debuted uh, a few weeks later in North America. It had cost $90 million, which was, the at that point, it was the most money ever spent on a foreign film. Okay. Outside of the United States. That's interesting. Okay. It grossed $263 million, and it premiered its opening weekend at number one. But it was only 25th overall. For the whole for year. For the year, but... Because you had Titanic. Titanic. You had a lot of big name movies yeah. that year. But it was a success. It was a big success in the box office. I mean, it, it tripled its money easily. It became the highest grossing French film at the foreign box office. Um, and it held a record for 16 years. What beat it? Uh, the Untouchables in 2011. The Untouchables. The Untouchables. Yes, that movie is good. So I mentioned before, the critics critics actually had a pretty popular response to this. The Los Angeles Times described the film as elaborate, um, even campy, and extravaganza. Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs up, mm. which is interesting. Interesting. And then in his separate review for the Chicago Sun-Times, Ebert gave the film three stars out of four. Mm. And he said it's one of the great goofy movies, so he liked it as kind of a com like kind of a funny <laughs> like a comedy. Yeah. Okay. Although he did conclude, he said I wouldn't have missed seeing the film 
and I re recommend it to everybody because of its imagery, but at 127 minutes, which seems reasonable, it played long. That part I actually disagree because I think the movie moves along quite a bit. One of the negative criticisms, Variety Magazine said that they felt it was an overblown attempt at a European filmmaker trying to make an American sci-fi action film. Well... <laughs> I don't totally disagree with that. But I, I will say this. I don't know that it necessarily is American feeling. I do think it feels international. And I think that that's one of the good things about it. It was nominated for one Oscar, and that was sound editing. Sound editing. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. It didn't really clean up at awards, really. but well, it, it did get nominated for two Golden Raspberries as well. It did, yes. <laughs> um, so it's kind of a split there, too. <clears throat> Rotten Tomatoes has Fifth Element at a 71. Okay. Which is pretty good. I want to get back to the Golden Raspberries. I don't know if people know what this is, but this is like the opposite of the Oscars where things that are the worst are nominated. Very famously, Halle Berry won an Oscar one year and then the year after that won a Golden Raspberry and showed up for the Golden Raspberry Awards to claim <laughs> the award. I think it was for Catwoman. That could but be. But here, Mila Jovovich was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress. She lost to Alicia Silverstone in Batman and Rob. Oh, ouch. Look, I like Alicia Silverstone a lot, um, but that I don't disagree with. It's just miscast. Just miscast. And then um, Chris Tucker for Worst Newcomer, and he lost to Dennis Rodman, which I also don't disagree with. Yeah. Dennis Rodman was never really an actor anyway, but he no. made a few appearances. But on the other hand, Fifth Element... Both Chris Tucker and Mia Jovovich ended up having quite a bit of film career. Right, that's the thing. <laughs> After and this. well, I think so I think that you take the energy that he has in this and you dampen it down a little bit for the buddy cop movies. Oh, Rush Hour. For Rush with Hour. Chan. With Jackie Chan. Um, yeah, you just tamp it down a little bit and a uh, a more kind of adept director can capture it. Now, having said that this is a totally different genre as well. Right. And it's supposed to be a little bit campy. It's just that for, so for me, okay, here's my rating. I'm going to give it a four mm -hmm. out of 10. Now don't come at me, please. My, um, my issue is it is a little overstuffed. It's a little too fast. I don't get the love story that I want. I like sci-fi stuff that has a little bit of humor injected, but instead of having humor injected, the tone here felt clunky. That mm. sometimes the humor works, sometimes like the thing with the mom, it doesn't work. The tone is all over the place. The music is kind of all over the place. A lot of times the, the music sounds good, and other times it sounds like cheap, like the kind of like free music you would get like on YouTube, mm -hmm. like the like if you wanted to download it or you know what I mean, right? The the costumes again, some of the costumes are super cool. Some of them look really cheap. The world building makes no sense to me because we have old fashioned kind of things from like the nineties, yeah. and then we have other thing. It just doesn't. And I also felt too. Way too many characters to follow. They yeah. have the generals and the one group of aliens and the other group of aliens and then also Zorg and then also the this other general coming in and then also the priests. And the, like it, it reminded me, I felt the same way about Golden Compass. 
Yeah. Like, Golden Compass has an interesting story. It worked much better as a TV show Mm -hmm. because then you had time to develop the characters of all those groups, the witches and the polar bears and whatever, right? That you had time to develop that. This, if I saw it as a TV show where they could take time to really do that world building in eight to ten episodes, I think it would be cool because there are good ideas here. Right. And I liked that it was an homage to certain things. But it was its own thing. It did move along. I didn't hate Mila Jovovich in the part. I thought she's playing what she's playing. She's very innocent, but she's also supreme being. I liked Bruce Willis. I guess I will up it, and I'll ultimately now talking it out. I'll give it a five. Five out of ten for Megan. You know, I mean, the movie has some issues. But you've seen it like 80 times. I have. I know the movie. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because when we watched it together, you were I got up and you were like, oh, I'll pause it. I was like, don't worry about it. I've seen this enough. I know what it was on. But, um, yeah, I've seen it a lot. But it's one of those guilty pleasures. Mm-hmm. I feel like the I feel like the fifth element is a guilty pleasure. That's okay though, right? It's a very visual movie, and it's a very it's interesting because Luke Besson said recently he was frustrated with the visual effects at the time, mm. and he feels like it could have been done way better now yeah. with the visual effects. Although he did Valerian, and ah, eh, I, I mean those were the effects were kind of good, but I didn't think it. Valerian I think it lacks story. <laughs> Valerian had some of the same issues that this movie did. Yeah. And what's funny is that I actually said to Steve, this movie reminds me of Valerian. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Because he did, did that, that also. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I I like I like Bruce Willis in this. I like Mia Jovovich. I like Ian Holmes. Even Gary Oldman, it's it's kind of wacky and a little goofy. I think he, I think he has a gravity to his performance. Mm. He definitely steals scenes when he's in them yeah that's with other true people and so i'm i would give it a seven okay that's how i okay you, you feel about this the way i felt about troop beverly hills yeah probably. that i know that it's not the best yeah it's not crafted perfectly but it's a guilty pleasure watch yeah did it ruin my childhood no because it's still the, exactly what it was when i watched it <laughs> yeah like i know what i'm getting into <laughs> right right that's true but i still want it it's like you know supermarket sushi Oh no! Like you know, it's not going to be the best sushi you've ever had. But it's but it's still sushi, and you know what you're getting when you buy it. It's not gas gas station sushi, right? Right. So yeah, so I'm going to give it a seven. Runic stones. Okay, that's not too bad. So together. Six Six runic runic stones stones out of of ten. We did it, finally. For our 25th episode, Spectacular. It took us 25 episodes to be able to do that the first try. (laughs) I usually have to edit out two or three times. We did it. Um, Six runic stones out of ten for the movie. And a four out of five for for Happy Meals. For Happy Meals. Revisit Happy Meals. Um, Classic. 25th episode. We want to just thank everybody that's been listening. Um, we do this because we just have a blast. Um, we love things from the 80s and 90s. We love cartoons and TV shows and movies. And we love being able to do it together. Uh, we thank everybody that listens. Um, at the time of recording this, we're approaching 3,000 downloads, which is blows yeah. my mind. I never would have thought well, we would have had that many. Yeah, I will say... You know, I don't want to get into it on here, but Steve and I kind of went through a hard time with just life stuff and COVID, not with each other. (laughs) (laughs) You can hear on here, we're very much in love. Um, But uh, that's the fifth element. 
love. It's no, it's not. <laughs> it's Mia Jovovich, but she's also welcome in our marriage. No, she's no. not. <laughs> I don't like that one bit. At any rate, we kind of have a, had a difficult time, and we wanted something to cheer ourselves up and also something to cheer other people up. And when we started doing this, our first couple episodes had like six downloads each. Yeah. And... Then we hit episode 10, and that's where we really started. Like, a lot of you guys started listening, started tuning in, um, started downloading the episode, like, the morning it comes out, right at 6 a.m. Yeah, which is great. Which is awesome. We, we also kind of see. found our footing in the record, in, in the actual, yeah. we yeah. did. Uh, man is, is not bad, but we were still finding our way around the, well, the, we also the had format. A, we also didn't have a good mic. Right. So, yeah, but we found our footing, and we found, like, what we think of as kind of our niche, our good, like... Like a nice format, a better balance between both of us talking and sharing things, which was important to us. And we had some fun bringing a couple other people on and doing some bonus episodes for you guys. So, And hopefully we'll have some guests maybe in the future too. Yeah, exactly. So coming up, um, long-awaited Fantasy Island. I can't wait to talk about that. Um, and that should be, I think, our next one after this. And then we'll have another movie. Yeah. So. We hope to be doing a 50th episode yeah. celebration. So hopefully you keep listening and you enjoy it. Um, let us know what you think on our Facebook as well as our... We have a Twitter. We have an Instagram. We're most active on Facebook. And we're really trying to kind of build that into a group and have more like more of the comments and stuff mm -hmm. there. Usually when people DM me, it is on Facebook. So we want this to kind of be your hub for all your 80s, 90s nostalgia. Um, but especially for the stuff you watch. So thank you so much for listening. Um, like, subscribe, follow, and leave those comments. And if you have any suggestion stuff you'd love for us to do, we will take those suggestions into account. I'm Megan. And I'm Steve. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.